Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome. Welcome to another week of CLCI Live. Lisa, what an interesting jacket you're wearing. The first time it was genuine. I was genuinely curious. I know. I know. The second time we're doing, we thought we went live. Yeah. Um, we thank you, Kelly. She got the first one for me. Um, it looks really and fantastic. Then, and I said something about making Letterman jackets or other CLCI yeah. merchandise for students to buy. And I like didn't even think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> we can make a whole clothing brand out of it. Well, there you go. Brooke, Brooke what are we talking about this week? Before we even go there, I'd yeah, like before to we go there. a moment to invite those of you out there watching to please join in the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, the live is better when you participate in it. We like a collaborative and um, participatory live. So please, please, please join in. Tell us what you're thinking. Uh, ask questions if you have them. Uh, thoughts. Share them. All of these good things. So. We That's will answer all. most questions. That's all, folks. Um, what we're talking about today, we're talking about a concept called thinking fast or slow. Thinking fast or slow. Um, it's a, it was a book written by Nobel Prize winning uh, psychologist Daniel Kahneman. And we're talking about how it may apply to coaching, essentially. But I think first we should sort of address what this topic is i want to say that is an unfortunate last name to be named con man <laughs> <laughs> makes me oh. not want to believe what he's saying nobel prize I've... winner <laughs> yeah. it's also not spelled the same way just saying yeah. that's how i pronounce it <laughs> man oh dear <laughs> okay so what is thinking fast and thinking slow? Don't I think at one speed? Uh, no. <laughs> so we kind of, this is kind of something we address a little bit in our level two uh, under different, wearing a different outfit, I think. Um, but it's something we talk about often. We might, when we're talking about thinking fast, what are we talking about? So like those immediate, I guess, either perceptions or things you can do almost automatically like quickly everybody what's what's three times six 18. what's four minus one three. thank god you're staying in elementary <laughs> what's 40 what's 49 times 67. 49 times 67 give me a moment i can get it <laughs> not, we're already not doing fast thinking anymore Darn it. I'm doing yeah, because I do have to have multiple processes start to go in. I start to, I, I take the the numbers and I there's a way I do that so that I can get them done pretty quick. But. If you can't do it automatically, then it's probably not an example of fast thinking. It, that was an example of slow thinking. So that's a quick way to show the difference between fast and slow thinking. But what I guess we need a more better or definite definition of fast thinking. Uh, so fast thinking is fast and emotional thinking. It's also what people might refer to it sort of as the, the reptilian brain, um, possibly. I think some think of it that way. Um, it's definitely not frontal cortex thinking. Um, it is that sort of um, where it's that, that quick, instinctual, reactionary. reactionary thought processes that happen. So that's the quick thinking. And, and um, a lot of times I think that it gets a bad rap right? Like um, people go, well, you put a lot of weight in being able to have those logical thought processes, but there is a reason that this part of our brain works and there's a reason it works so quickly. Um, it's because it's operated to keep us alive uh, for yeah. <laughs> the reason that we are able to be uh, living, breathing, eating human beings is we have to give a great deal of, of um, credit to this, this system one fast thinking process. Um, and so I, that I can think of uh, an example as you were speaking there it came to me um, when I was in, on the 405 in California the 405 driving home um, so for going north on the 405 the 
two crazy motorcyclists drove past us going really not being young and dumb in that sense. Total judgment. They were weaving, they were popping wheelies on the highway. They were just not being very smart about this. They passed, and, and for the good news for them, it wasn't a normal 405 freeway, meaning it's normally jam-packed on that 405. And, and the cars, while busy, not nearly as busy. Um, they clipped somebody's car, they flipped in the air, and while the, the fast-thinking piece is where I'm running towards is everybody on the highway stopped. Everybody could have that quick thinking that it was all in sync between all of us to stop on a dime on the 405 freeway. So I thought that was an interesting piece of that fast thinking piece that you were describing where it was just a reactionary thing. We all slowed down, we stopped and nobody, you know, while the, the, I'm sure the speed they were going and the flip they did, their body was in pain. They didn't have to go through additional trauma because all of the quick thinking that everyone who was driving participated with, it was kind of like, it was just really interesting how that all came together. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that fast thinking is probably what led to the accident as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is that sort of uh, instinctual, I, I mean, I think even our auto autonomic processes um, might fall into this as well, but um, mm -hmm. those ones we really don't think about unless you try like blinking. <laughs> um, uh, although I did know somebody that didn't have the ability to like, they had to consciously think, think of blinking. It wasn't built into their autonomic processes and it was interesting. Oh. He had um, always had dry eyes. <laughs> um, so um, let's talk then about slow thinking. So slowing the thought down, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some examples. If you're like, one of the examples I saw in one of the videos we were talking about, um, somebody was like, it was like a group of girls in like white shirts and black shirts. And they're like, can you pick mm -hmm. out the amount of times the girls in white shirts um, pass the ball? And they were doing that. And you really had to stop and focus and like pay attention to what was going on. And they showed the video a second time and what a lot of people didn't realize that there was like a man in a gorilla outfit like in the background just like waving his arms and the invisible gorilla yes and that's yeah. that's also yeah what is it inattentive or uh, blah, 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 blah. um something blank uh words that it's a it's perception essentially but what we're mm -hmm. doing right now is our it but what it does call to the forefront is this slow thinking part of our brain the, the frontal cortex part of our brain is not very good at multitasking or spelling thinking right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that slower, the slower process is really going to gear towards um, an evolution of how you want to proceed or do or deliberate as we have on here, deliberate and logical process where you know, taking that mathematical equation that Anthony gave us earlier, I don't remember what the number was, 25 plus seven or times 75, you know, we're gonna have to stop and think unless you know math like that. For me, I'm going to have to stop and think and get out a piece of paper and do the math skills as I grew up with. It's going to take me a little extra effort. I could do it in my head. <laughs> just gonna take oh, a still slow thinking it's gonna but it's still slow thinking yeah it's not like boom 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 it's not like so know. where does fast thinking and slow thinking come into play during coaching well i can tell you with couples they are very re reactionary with each other um they have a they don't they oftentimes they have resentments that are built and that triggering <laughs> with that amygdala hijacking process becomes very quick and efficient. The other side of that is what they're not doing is taking time and recognizing who they're speaking with, what the intention, what the intention of the conversation is, 
how, you know, like four agreements, don't take it personal. We're trying to figure out where we're going with this information. So I could see it definitely be part of that. Part of adding the system two versus the system one, which they've probably done at home. System two is just, let's, let's, let's talk about what the intention is and where you want to go with it. So it becomes much more of a process than an instant reaction. As a coach, are you guys thinking that we utilize slow thinking system two more, or should we be utilizing that more frequently than system one? I understand as a seasoned coach, maybe some things become a little bit more autonomous to you. Um, but do you guys think there's a, a benefit to one or the other? Maybe a mixture of both come into play? I think it's system two mostly. And, and I think it depends on what it's, what's going on. Because in, in the example I gave you, we had to be in one to have a quicker response. In two, you're going to have a slower response because you have to have a thought process that goes along with it for the most part, right? But in the book that this is coming from, it's not really like prescribing one or the other. Yeah. Um, what was his name? Uh, con man. Uh, <laughs> he's not saying, hey, we should do this more than that. Um, he's trying to be descriptive in the way thoughts are formed. Um, but us as coaches, though, we recognize that. And I think we do put that should, or at least try to teach, let's slow down the thinking. Let's give room for silence that's where i see you know system okay. two coming or we try to encourage that in our clients as well mm -hmm. you know leave room for silence so people can think about what they're going to say or what their answers are to your questions as well um i don't know if we should really prescribe that our students or clients not students clients should be thinking one or two but we should observe what do our clients tend to more? Do they tend towards system one, fast thinking? Are they really quick with answers? Or do they like to take their time? Do they like to think over problems? Um, mm -hmm. Which, I mean, we provide them all the space and time in the world as coaches to, you know, sit and think and carefully analyze what we're saying. Um, we're not trying to move the session along as fast as humanly possible. I think that's a good but point. Some new coaches, though, think that's what they're supposed to do, that they are supposed to be, you know, that rocket in the chair, helping that client move along quickly. And that's honestly not where the best growth is. Um, like you were mentioning, that space where we're providing that client that silence to imagine, to get into their daydream of the possibilities to open up that um uh, mirror neurons even to watch other people what they're doing to see if that works for them so there's a lot of different avenues that slowing down is very functional but when you've got to make a snap decision and, and a decision um, like driving right and then there's an accident in front of you, you've got to make a snap decision you can't sit there and go hmm what should I do here <laughs> Brooke, I see you use this technique all the time for clients. Which one is that? The coin flip. Oh, I do. It's one of the things I do all the time. But it's um, there is a. It's more than it's. Sometimes it is. It's utilizing the slow thinking portion, uh, or the fast thinking portion actually. Um, and it's it's mm -hmm. a way to sort of tap into that fast thinking because a lot of times I use it, the coin flip when where people are stuck in this deliberate slow thinking space and they're thinking themselves in circles right they're they're not able to make a, a decision um uh do does anybody here have anything that they need to decide between are you guys is anybody torn between two things to do or uh two options <laughs> i i have one yo yeah jerome okay tell me uh i am decide well i've been I tend to overthink on uh, a lot of different things. Uh, I'm actually moving soon and I need to know whether or not I'm getting new furniture or should I 
take the time to get a U-Haul truck, bring it with me, bring my, my furniture currently, and then move it upstairs or just order it from Amazon. And then I, that, that means now I have to build the furniture, which there's two, I gotta weigh, I've been trying to weigh my options here. Both sound not so fun, but the decision has to be made. Um, okay, so we're just gonna keep it in this black and white world, okay? Um, so we're gonna say heads on this, this here coin is, is Amazon. Okay. It's buying your furniture, Amazon, Wayfair, wherever you want to buy it. Overstock, Wayfair. Overstock Target, wherever you're going to buy it. This is our yeah. buying. So that the head of this coin is buying the tail of this coin is going to be U-Haul. All right. <laughs> so U-Haul and Amazon heads is Amazon tails is, is U-Haul. Uh, okay. So Jerome, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor before I flip this coin. Yes. Can you commit to me that you will do whatever way this lands? Yes, I can. Okay. You, you can. So you've made this commitment. Okay. Yes. Right. All right. So hedge is Amazon. Tails is uh, U-Haul. Okay. I've got it. All right. You ready to know what it is? Uh, yes. I have... Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's heads, it's heads. It's heads. Good. So share with me what you were about to say, though. Funny, I was going to say, I think I, I very slightly had uh, a result that I think edged out. As soon as, in that moment that you went ahead and flipped it, I think I realized in the heat of the moment that I think there was an option that I preferred than the other. Um, and that was? Heads. So I'm <laughs> happy about that. But also now there's thoughts percolating where... Um, I, I'm thinking of the downfall or the, I guess, the, the negative, um, of, I guess, outfall from, from what it is that I have to, when it comes to also what I didn't think about, but I hadn't thought about um, when I was kind of laying out the, both those options is also additionally, that's going to cost more money too, ordering from Amazon, as opposed to, you know, putting in a little bit uh, more time, maybe a little bit more strength, asking maybe some people to come help as well. So we're back in this cycle exactly right? yes we're back in this cycle of, of system two just overthinking things right <laughs> um i wanted to ask a few questions about this example that we just saw one what would you have said brooke if jerome just said no like he's like i'm not ready to like no, no. i can't commit to a choice on the coin flip um i would then we would have talked about that for sure we would have absolutely had a conversation about that. Um, Second of all, this goes into some of the stuff from thinking fast, thinking slow about heuristics and biases and how the things we say or the things presented in front of us will drastically affect our what we choose to do. So, Jerome, if I was doing the coin flip and I asked, heads, you have to keep your old stuff tails you have to buy new things <laughs> versus heads you get to keep your old things and don't have to buy stuff tails you get all new things and you get to get rid of all your old stuff <laughs> framing i like that that's what i was gonna say framing what, what i'm doing is framing the question and i'm I'm framing the question in different ways and I'm also using loss aversion as well. Mm -hmm. But the ways in which you word your questions to clients, for examples, are going to be biased and they're going to affect the way in which your person responds to your question. So you have to be very careful to not let your own biases affect it. Now, if I was a very devious coach, which I am, and I wanted my client to go a certain way on a decision, then wording your question, you know, will affect the outcome of whatever it is being asked. I will, I would say that like the knowledge of these biases that are brought up in this book uh, and, and that are brought up in this context, when you apply it to coaching, it is a giant playbook of what to be aware of with how you can affect what your client's outcomes are, what your client's choices are. And that the, you being aware of, of the way you frame things, the way that you, of all of these things, just bringing awareness around it, 
allows you to be so much more capable of becoming that blank slate, right? Be being that truly blank slate that really allows your client to discover their world on their own. Also, I think it can bring a secondary level of knowing too, that if you really got into it and really became adept at, at recognizing these things, of being able to identify uh, moments when your client might be falling sort of victim to an anchoring or a priming or a cognitive ease or an optimism or a bias themselves and, and maybe ask questions around the possibility there. Um, I think it's just a really powerful tool in general um, to use on many levels, both in the way I approach questioning as a coach, but also in the way that I listen to my client as well. Um, because it's true. It's one of those things. It's one of the things that we teach is um, the difference between asking a question of, uh, is that something you really want to do? Or <laughs> asking, um, uh are, I mean, that we, that's a yes or no question, but it's a loaded question right there. That is a very loaded question. Um, we could say, how do you want to, how, are you comfortable with the, the, this plan? It's probably a better, but we don't even want to say comfortable. How do you feel about this plan? Open-ended, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so like, even with that word comfort, that's like a loaded right there. Now, if it was something that they had said prior to, I want a plan that I'm comfortable with, mm -hmm. then we've got hundred percent permission to go ahead and insert that comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. But without that knowledge, we've got to be very aware of when we're doing that. Let's sort of, I think, talk through a little bit these concepts. So let's begin with the priming effects. Uh, you sort of introduced a bit of the framing, but why don't we sort of just take a moment to touch on each of these biases brought up in the, this book. Um, and I'm going to be right back. Yeah. So priming, um, it's essentially when an individual's or let's say the client's exposure to a certain stimulus influences or encourages, encourages their response to subsequent stimulus. The way I see this play out in everyday coaching um, and even in the business of coaching is with marketing. We prime our ideal clients to be receptive of what we're giving them and what we're coaching. Um, and if that priming doesn't work, then that's kind of filtering the client list for us. Uh, we're not coaching the people who are not going to respond to, sorry, there's a bug flying around. We're not <laughs> responding to our message. And then once we get into the session, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. If we talk about or let's say my Instagram, I'm a coach. I'm like a, not what, what do they call those coaches who get like, who are all about like getting money in, in abundance, I guess an abundance coach. Let's just go with that. And my Instagram posts are all about, you know, my vacations and how much money I'm making and all this wonderful stuff that I have in abundance. And my clients, you know, I'm friends with them. Maybe before our first session or maybe before our, one of our sessions, I decided to share a post with them about how I went on this awesome vacation. That is a prime example of priming because I'm trying to get them ready for what we're about to talk about as far as my brand of coaching is, which is abundance and how they can have more. You want I'm to not saying you should do that, but that's an example of priming. So like brilliant priming, uh, I, I, Tony Robbins uses brilliant priming uh, mm -hmm. strategy in his, um, one of the first things you will happen upon, and a lot of coaches do this in his website is uh, a sort of like personality quiz or satisfaction quiz, a life wheel kind of based thing where people are assessing different parts of their life and their satisfaction, right? And so what he's doing essentially is a couple of things on two levels. He's priming them to come in and go, I got, pardon my French, I am dissatisfied, really dissatisfied right here. Like really. And so, man, I really do have something to work on with Tony. I really do. I'm willing to pay to bring this part of my life that I am not. And he put a big bright light on the fact that they're, um, which is huge priming. It's also offering him an opportunity to, um, to then market to them uh about their needs specifically which is the other 
uh, part of that that's kind of brilliant. So, but he's definitely primed them with this concept of, okay, this is where you're hurting. This is what you're, you, this is what we can work on. And he doesn't have to do that work anymore. They know that coming into his site, that there is something, there are parts of their lives they need to work on. Um, it's very, very smart marketing for a coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there's a, <laughs> there are, um, other organizations that do a similar thing uh, that I won't bring up, but it's <laughs> maybe not as as uh, I don't know. It could be it gets all a little a little manipulating after a while. Yeah. <laughs> when you know about it, it gets a little scary. Um, yeah. But also can be done very brilliantly, very smartly, um, uh, in the sense that that if you if you have your clients fill out a thing before they work with you that says, "Hey, what do you want to work on?" You're getting them ready to do that work before they even show up um let's talk about anchoring anchoring is kind of like priming's mathematical brother <laughs> what anchoring's fun when you use it to your advantage um, it sucks when it's to your disadvantage um it's it's like what, what is it? it's funny um, okay so one of the things we would say is the average length of a cat uh, is the average length of a cat more or less than 300 centimeters? Less. I, I have to remember less. how big a centimeter is. I don't think it's very big. Okay, so 300. Right. Oh, I'm going to go with less. Yeah. Well, well give, me a number. give me a number. Give me a number. Give me a number. I guess. 200. I, uh, 250. 250. Lisa, I'm thinking. So um, if a centimeters this big, and what kind of, what kind of are we like, talking about again? Yeah, no, just, no, you got to answer quickly, quickly, quick. You got to very yeah. Short like, I have to reason it out. I have so, to do logic. Okay. So it's so about then, a, a now, foot and a half. Uh, the average length of a uh, let's say, I'm trying to think of something that is uh, let's say the average length of a corgi. Hey, Corgi, happy birthday, Jen! How much would, would you guess is it more or less than 600 centimeters? Less. Less, I want to go less. And how, what, what length would you give that Corgi? So... Same size as the cat. I want to say 250, 200. Okay, so you guys went with the same, which is, which is fine. And you, you, you did not prove the uh, priming, but... Let me look at the actual length, length in centimeters of a cat. I looked I up. I have no idea. I just guessed 200. Is, <laughs> hold on. Well, they're like a foot and a half long, long, right? They're about 25 centimeters, typically. Okay. I was about to say, 200 centimeters is like a lot larger than the span of my arm. Yeah, okay. so you say about 25. But you guys fell victim to anchoring. Because I said 200 or 300, you guys immediately wanted to stay close to that number because you were anchored with that mm. 300 to begin with. So when I said 300, your brains both automatically went, well, it can't be that far away. Um, but the truth of the matter is it's 25, but that's what we do intuitively. We latch on to numbers and we'll then sort of for no logical reason, uh, make our guesses based on those numbers. And that's, that is the anchoring <laughs> trick right there. Well, apparently, I don't like to play, so there. <laughs> My brain goes, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. I don't want to because I don't know. And I couldn't possibly know. <laughs> I have to reason this out. I cannot just guess that. It does another not feel factual. Another example of anchoring in my life is buying used cars. I've only ever bought used cars. Um, <laughs> and the rule of thumb is whoever says the price first is going to end up losing. Because they're the one who's setting the anchor for the other person to like then try to, you know, bargain for. So like if I were to put my lowest price, I can't go any lower than that. I can't then ask if I was like, I'll have ten thousand dollars for this car. The dealer's like, okay, we can do eleven thousand. I say, actually nine thousand. <laughs> already lost because I've anchored the the price of the car regardless of what the actual price is. Um, How funny! I never played that game. That is the funniest thing that we're talking. I did not play that game. I go, you just tell me how much that car is. 
I am not no. telling you what I'm affording and what I'm, uh, you tell me how much that car is. <laughs> oh no, I played, I played that game hard one time. And then I yeah. just, after like we were bargaining the price, he set the price first. So I was able to work him down. Then I said, well, you know, I'll probably go to some other places, just look around. And as soon as I was walking out, the guy was like, oh, wait, I talked to my manager. He said, we can do this price. And, you know, yeah, I Whatever. saved myself um, a few and thousand. The, the truth of the matter was the car was really only worth about, you know. Yeah, yeah it was only worth about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so and true. Which... Lot, which with the benefit of slow thinking was i did compare the price of the car to other cars like of equal value yeah. so i did do my research beforehand you probably should never go buy a car without doing your research but the way well, that i could see anchoring benefiting our coaches is when they price out their services that brings us to another sort of concept in this um before is i want to i'm trying to think of a good example uh, for this and, and find it at the same time. This is it. Okay. So, um, before we go into it, I want to sort of give you an example. Um, let me think here. Um, you, did you guys, well, you watch those full videos. So if I give you the same example, you probably, uh, know exactly what I mean when I say it. So I'm trying to give you another example of something similar. Um, <laughs> we should have had one dummy just not do any of the research. I know. Right. Right. Um, uh, but I'm just trying to think of something that, that people, if there's an example in that hour long, um, talk, no, it's not the hour long. Um, so let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, it's going to bring, it kind of brings in another bias though. So maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, um, do you guys, would you guys invest in a company um that manufactured pesticides Strange. yeah maybe depends yes depends. yes why did you say yes yes i said yes because pesticides are used a lot in a lot of if for like a I guess a business that is no, mostly stable in my mind. I'm just guessing. I don't know what agricultural stocks look like, but I'm thinking, well, pesticides are used in almost everything as far as agricultural goes. Let's let's go for it. And uh, Jerome? I don't even think agricultural. I think because I've got family and I visit Louisiana often, um, pesticide is something that is just used to reduce the amount of ridiculous and scary insects that they have down there that can eat you alive mosquitoes um, that big yes <laughs> that's what i'm thinking and then lisa you said maybe i said maybe because you know i also know that pesticides have harmed our environment as well and so i'm sorry my cat is crying <laughs> uh, and so it's going to depend on what the intention of that pesticide is what specific Ultimately, though, if we're talking about investing, um, we're basing some, I think Anthony may have been the only one who really based it on something that was a little bit in the realm of, of uh, well, the, everybody needs pesticides. But truthfully, we don't know anything about this business. We're making these presumptions because we are going off of sort of a substitution. Well, Jerome doesn't like giant bugs and knows that people don't like giant bugs. And so it's probably going to be a good investment because most people probably also don't like like uh, giant bugs. And that's, that's literally our system one sort of kicking in and going, no, this is the smart choice, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is maybe is probably the better answer because there's a lot more information that we probably want to know before we make However, it. However, in that car ride in Texas, when I rented a car and I had oh, this cockroach. giant cockroach climbing on the ceiling, I'd have used it in a heartbeat right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> the other example they give is like if we said, "Do you want to? Would you invest in a company that um, manufactured coffins?" And a lot of people's first reaction, mine was like, "Well, maybe." I mean, yeah. I think the it's a business is going to keep on going. You know, <laughs> please, we want to ask. Well, but there's a lot of people that innately go no. 
Um, and it was funny. They were like, well, if you, if you said yes, right off the bat, you're put it in there. They're like, they're like, you're a death obsessed madman. And I was like, well, my gut reaction was to say yes. So I guess I'm a death obsessed madman. But, um, uh, but the tr what we do is we have this, a lot of times this icky feeling around death. And so we go, no, I don't want to. Um, uh, and it's may not be the logical thing to do. Um, and we might want to sort of employ our system two brains in that space. Um, and then we'll go back through and sort of talk about how these might sunk costs. This is an interesting one. I think it's one that can apply to our clients really well. Mm -hmm. The example they gave of this is like, there was a woman, she, she really likes candy bars. So she bought a giant box of candy bars. Um, but then, you know, she gained a few pounds and now she is trying to lose weight and she's learned that the candy bars are just not good for her. But she's like, I spent, you know, $300 on these candy bars. I can't just throw them away. Um, and this is this sort of like feeling that we keep investing in these poor things because we've already invested in them. Um, and, and truthfully, no, just throw the candy bars out, give them to the kids next door and ruin their lives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I don't know if you would get this reference. But I was immediately thinking of the SpongeBob episode where they're trying to sell candy bars. Yes, yes. I don't want to say it out loud right now, but you know, <laughs> chocolate. Um, to all our millennial and Zoomer. Yeah. Also, a good example I think would be um, maybe you've got a car that you've had for a while and it starts breaking down on you, and you continue to fix it time and time again, even though probably just better off to go off and, and get yourself a, a new or used car like Anthony would. So. Um, Here, here's it, something though that people tend to do more. Um, they are going to get divorced more rapidly than they used to. That is a quick decision they make. They're tired of the way that relationship's going and they're going to go down that divorce path more so than they will spend time adjusting their personal behavior. Well, I think that's kind of the opposite of sunk cost, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I think that sunk cost would be, well, I've already, I've been married for 15 years and I couldn't possibly leave this relationship because I've spent so much time investing in it and yeah. energy. And I can't imagine spending so much time and energy trying to change somebody else. I've been trying to change this guy for so long and he still isn't, but I can keep trying because I've been trying for 15 years. And <laughs> um, yeah. But it's yeah. like, well, maybe, maybe the best thing is to let it go. Um, How but, do you that. We could flip that. Like Lisa said, yeah. maybe, maybe some costs can be utilized in a good way. Well, uh, in a way to, to, to sort of look at the big picture and go, well, maybe when you look at the grand scheme of things, this is where you want to be, depending on uh, mm -hmm. the situation. Um, and the candy bars, it's a very sort of black and white kind of thing, but there, there's definitely gray areas yeah. in all of this, of course. Um, Interesting. One of the things... Go oh, ahead. I was going to say, I can also think of like, I had a client a while ago who was wanting to leave her job to do full-time coaching but sunk cost fallacy was getting in the way of that um she didn't like her job it didn't really meet her needs financially either but she stayed so long and it kind of just barely met the minimum that she's like i can't leave i gotta find a way to do both i was like okay well we'll try to figure that out how you can do that um let's explore that thought process a little bit though um but yeah sunk co sunk cost fallacy say that fast five times <laughs> some cost fallacy some cost fallacy sounds like you're saying conk <laughs> um is a big block is a very big block in a lot of clients um i guess journeys when they want to change and have transformation because yeah. they've invested so much in their current lifestyle well, and then there's that fear of the unknown. Which will bring us to our next one, which is kind of funny, uh, which sort of the opposite of fear of the unknown, but um, it's this um, optimism effect that happens with people, which sort of uh, relates to overconfidence effect, where we uh, sometimes go into things. And, and I think this applies to clients when they maybe get defeated. Maybe they go out and they don't 
They think everything's, you know, it was going to go one way. Oh, man, this is going to be amazing. Boom. It's not as great or as easy as they originally or initially thought because there's a lot of things they didn't consider and they sort of fall victim to this overconfidence optimism effect that happens where they really don't think of the whole picture and a lot of times they don't consider chance and then sometimes chance falls in comes into play in these things um and uh, we as people do not account for chance rarely do we account for chance because uh it really is hard for us to we, we how it's hard for us to imagine things going ways that we don't even imagine them going, right? And that's really what chance is. Um, so how do you calculate an, an account for chance? And then I think where this comes into play with clients is, is they can, when things don't go as they expect, and maybe it's just because of chance, there isn't a reason that it happened. It just happened to be this way. Um, it can, we, they can apply a lot of stories to it. Uh, and sometimes maybe those stories can be um, things that are keeping them stagnant or keeping them from moving forward. And I think this mm -hmm. is something that really comes into play with um, sort of block removal and things like that, where they, they begin to think this isn't possible because they went out and tried it one time and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and they've applied all these stories as to why it's never going to work and why it doesn't work. And then we as coaches sort of can start to explore, well, what if it did work? What if, you know, is this the way you still want to go and all of these things? Um, it's kind of challenging with the optimism bias because I've encountered something similar to that with a client. Um, they wanted to make like, I don't know, I can't remember the actual number. Let's just say they wanted to make 50000 in their first year of coaching. Um, different business, I'm changing the business, but it's essentially the same. $50,000 in the first year of coaching. That seems a bit optimistic to me. When I head. Like how much are they willing to spend though? <laughs> yeah, well, well it, it's more so just when considering the statistics of people who just go into businesses and they're open their own businesses in general, you don't, they wanted to make a profit of 50,000. Let me be more specific. Oh. When you're looking at the statistics though, you don't start making a profit in your business for at least a few years. And I think too, that's something to consider. You may, you may want to make a profit of fifty thousand, but it might cost you one hundred fifty thousand to make that extra fifty thousand and do so quickly. Like that's there's a lot of that is doesn't there's a lot of things that don't get taken into account is um, the amount of money you have to put into a business for it to come back to you and yeah. for it to start to make that return is much higher than I think people really consider going out the gate that that your business is going to be an investment and it's a, it's an investment that's going to, that means putting it out. And one of the things we always say is you have to be willing to put out, if you're not going to put out the money, then it's energy, time, effort, all of these but things. My, my, my question is though, with any sort of optimistic goal, and I think maybe I should pump up, let's pump it up a little bit. So it's something a bit even more unrealistic. Let's say. Well, no, 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 it's not. That's not hang on there right there. Because what I did is I calculated, you know, if they want to take away 50,000, let's say they have a lower overhead at 25,000 for the year, just that's working from home, you know, doing the bare minimum, they want to make that that's 500 appointments for an hour at $150. So breaking that down into a per appointments, how are they going to get 500 appointments? for the year. What does that break down even to the month? How does that? So we, in this over, in this optimism spot, we're still working in level two or level two. <laughs> uh, what is it? Two, what is the thing called system two? two? What is it? Oh, uh, thinking system two, system two. System two. Thank you. Not our level two, but system two. Um, it still goes down into that system too when we're working this optimism side. It, you know, you can even make the dollar amount less, and that what your argument is, Anthony, is still appropriate. Um, yeah. So, but my question, if going back to that specific instance at the time, I didn't really question that. It seemed a bit optimistic to me, but it wasn't. It was my job as a coach to figure out how to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Is it ever appropriate? Whenever a client throws out a highly optimistic, you know, goal to ask, how did you arrive at that number? Or how did you arrive to that goal? Sure. 
I because I now I'm thinking like, what if I have a client who wants to make a million dollars in one year? Okay, that's a number that you're anchoring yourself to. How did you come to that number? Mm-hmm. What caused you to get? What to- supports that number? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's tapping into the emotional relevance. I think of what does making a million dollars in a year mean to that client? Like, because it's all, it's not, ultimately, it's not going to be about that million dollars. There's a lot of reason why they are anchoring to expecting and coming in, unless they have a very specific plan. Well, I've already done the math. I need a million dollars in order to affect this, 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 this. Get one client. When somebody's walking through the door, they're plucking these numbers sort of out of thin air um, a a lot of times. And that's because to them, there's just some emotional relevance attached with being, making that, you know, what is it? Seven figure salary or what have you. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And that's when you tap into that. Okay. Now what is this? And and why is this million dollars important to you? And then, then we can start to tackle about okay, how do we start to take steps towards that, that million? We're not saying, I think ever that it's not possible. We're not saying ever that we can't, you know, it's, we, but it is important to find out what that means to them. It's, it's defining it. It's what we've always talked about. It's defining what, what their word means. So I want to make a billion dollars, define what that looks like. What does that mean? How are you in that space? What's happening for you that you're attracting you know, the, the higher dollar potential client, what's, who are you, how, where are you going? I mean, there's just so many questions, Anthony. So yeah, you absolutely can ask for definition. Is that what I wouldn't call it? Yeah. I think then the secondary question too is, okay, uh, what can we accomplish in these sessions to get you closer to that million dollar goal? Right. What does that look like? So they come, so typically our, you know, when we're working with clients, we're, we're meeting one week to the next week, typically. So next week we talk about, you know, if that's what they want to work on, what we spoke about this session, how did that play out between our time? And, and then you still have to ask, it's, they might not be building that again. You know, where are we going in today's session, which can be something completely different. Can we please do a, can we please do a live, um, in which we throw it out there to some of our students. Is there anybody in our chat that wants to make a million dollars? And then bring them in here and then do like a session around um, getting them to make a million dollars. I think that would be so much fun. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. We um, kind of talked, talked about all of these. We talked about priming, anchoring, framing, um, uh, and all of these biases. Do you guys have any final thoughts with regard to sort of how they might come into play in coaching, how to use them, how to utilize them, what they mean for coaches? You know, sometimes it's if they're in one, like if they're in system one, sometimes getting them, uh, you know, I have uh, questions around what you've shared. I'm wondering, and that builds it into the system two question. So it slows things down enough for them to have that uh, thought process or conversely, like you did with the coin toss, that coin toss helps them to make a decision. And then it goes back into, if you saw Jerome and went back into system two, because then he started reasoning things out, getting into his logical processes with that. So it can be used in any kinds of way with coaching to help that client process, you know, what direction they're going in. I think alternatively too, you want to make sure that you're being aware of which system you're using too. Sometimes Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes you're making, or you could be potentially um, making the session not so safe as we try and make that safe space every time we are um, with the client, because we're using a particular system that, the client doesn't react well with. Um, so just being aware of both yes, within your client, whether they're using system one, system two, what works better. And then also for you and also realizing whether that system one or system two is providing the best result for your client in their decision-making process. And part of that could be you're sharing that ed- education about, you know, about this tool that we're using. We're using system one, system two. Here's what this means. Is this something that we could play around with in this session, right? So asking even permission to use a tool 
allows them to make a decision based on the information you've shared. I could see a scenario where maybe after a few weeks of using system one, again, being aware yeah. of it um, in, in your style of coaching. Yeah. For really pro providing no results that your client seem to be mm -hmm. satisfied with, with that knowledge mm -hmm. being known, switching up to system two and maybe yeah. moving forward with that, seeing if results change uh, to the benefit of your client at that point. Yeah. Sure. My, my final thoughts um, that sort of complement what Lisa and Jerome said, they're complementary processes that you, you utilize the advantages of both in your coaching session, like how we demonstrated with Brooke, you know, the coin flip, that's a system one sort of exercise where it forces somebody to make a quick and instinctual decision. Other times we use system two when we see our clients making gut choices without really thinking about the consequences or sort of how are they going to justify or reason out their decisions um, in a way that makes sense to you as the coach. So being able to slow down your own thinking as a coach or analyze the fast and slow thinking of your client will lead to more benefits and better coaching in the long run. Brooke, final thoughts? I don't have any. Okay. <laughs> did I space on the cognitive ease substitution? Because I thought that was, did, did we go over that? That's cognitive okay. ease. Yeah, that was the coffin one. That was the one uh, where okay. we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Invest in coffins, everybody. Investing coffins is a good one. We're not advising any investments on this show. I'm advising and any telling people to make. When it comes different, no, we're not doing that. Um, uh, I think that's about it. We'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. I know we had some issues technically today, but uh, we will get that work figured out for next one. Uh, make sure you guys check out uh, Certified Life Coach Institute. Do it. We certify life coaches in three days. <laughs> um, Take our classes, like, share, subscribe, comment on our videos. Have fun. Have yeah. fun in our classes. Come join us. Uh, yes, we will prime you to have a great time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then make sure you check us out. We do this every week uh, at 4 o'clock um, on Facebook and YouTube. And also, next week's topic will be stress and the effects oh. of stress. And, and all of these things. What's stressful okay. for us as coaches and clients? Stress. Stress. We're going to talk about stress. Um, I think that's all. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF-accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three-day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI Lives, where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.